Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerald Couch. This is your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, for supporting, for sharing, for liking, um, and for my friends, for texting to let me know um, how you enjoy these episodes monthly. Um, your feedback, of course, is so important to how we shape the show. So keep letting us know what you think about topics um, and how they relate to you maintaining your overall mental health and well-being. Um, as always, and if you're listening, you probably have already done this, but if you haven't, make sure that you subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Um, keep up with us on social media, on Instagram, that's at Go Small Talk Counseling, um, and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash counseling. And of course, if you want to see everything all in one place, one-stop shop, go to www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Um, and from there, you can share to your social media pages. You can read the blog. You can see what else we have going on at the practice. Um, and also let us know how you're enjoying the show. So we have reached episode 46. Um, and this week's topic is risky business. Um, a positive alternative. So of course, when people think about risk taking, a whole bunch of stuff comes to mind. So to make this a mental health topic, I thought would be really interesting because of course, when most people think of taking risks, um, there's sort of a negative connotation. And I want us to think differently about that today. Um, so we'll get to that in a second, but I do want to make sure that we acknowledge just like we did in our episode earlier this month, that July is still Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, this month's theme, which I don't know if I've said this during our last episode or this year's theme um, is Depth of My Identity, which was created by Mental Health America, who I did mention on our last episode as a great organization to learn more about. Um, and what I love about this theme is it really gets into the depth of what it means to think about identity, um, not only based on like what we know to be true or what we believe, but also like the views of the people who uh, we're surrounded by, which may not always be people of a similar you know, racial background or religious background, but in essence, those things shape us too. And so, of course, in a lot of ways, um, specific communities, oftentimes those of us that belong to marginalized groups or um, communities of color or 
Um, I don't like using the term minority, but a lot of people will also use that sort of term. Um, and usually when you fall into one of those category, people are seen um, sort of as victims or somehow being broken um, because of being a part of those marginalized groups. And so as a community, a lot of times they end up having to constantly work towards combating stereotypes and trying to maintain their well-being all at the same time. And so at that sort of intersection between these things um, are our, our identities and the things that make us who we are. And so, of course, we have to constantly um, dig in deeper into what those um, mean to us and how we are utilizing them maybe as protective factors, but also doing the work to confront uh, the biases and the stereotypes that others use to define people who are categorized in that way or who belong to those particular groups. And so this year, that particular theme um, is aimed at trying to understand how those intersections and those struggles can enter can impact um, the mental health and well-being of these communities, but also to challenge like those perceptions about taking people's identity beyond what we see um, or beyond what other people believe to be true and sort of creating other avenues to sort of thrive in spite of the challenges that might be thrown someone's way. And so um, Mental Health America has decided to create a space for conversation using the hashtag depth of my identity um, to be able to have conversations around these issues. And so, of course, um, they are asking that those of us who are interested in getting involved share uh, what are the pieces that define the depth of your identity and kind of how does it relate to your mental health journey. And so the hope is that they'll challenge some perceptions that are out there and create some conversations um, in the community to show others um, how when we're all well, we all thrive. And so I hope that you will join me and join them um, in their 2019 campaign celebrating Minority Mental Health Awareness Month um, by showing us who the person um, that we all maybe see, what's the depth of that person and, and really share that in a way that can be motivating for someone um, that you never knew needed that. So do your part, hashtag depth of my identity um, and use that and let us know as well and tag small talk um, on your social media so that we can see how you are showing us your pride for Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. So to jump into our topic uh, today, you guys know that I usually like to reference an article and I haven't done that in a while. And so I did want to use um, a point of reference to basically add some clarification because like I mentioned earlier, when you start talking about risk taking, um, a lot of people assume that to be very negative. Um, I guess the word risk itself has a negative connotation. And so when you start thinking about risk taking behaviors, um, people instantly kind of clam up and don't want to talk about it anymore. But I want to offer um, an alternative perspective um, that is much more positive and uh, definitely taps into thinking differently about how to maybe utilize uh, risk taking in a therapeutic way. So the article that kind of like jump started this topic for me and made me think um, differently about it and think of it as a topic to share with all of you um, is entitled Therapeutic Risk-Taking, A Justifiable Choice. Um, it's an article that came out of Cambridge. Um, the authors are Anne Felton, um, Nicola Wright, and Gemma Stacy. Um, and so what I love about this article in general is that it really breaks down sort of the fundamental uh, definitions of risk and why we sort of have this idea that they're automatically considered to be negative. Um, and so 
what I appreciate about the authors is that they, you know, they were honest about that part, but also offered this alternative perspective that allows people to um, understand that risk taking um, enables people to sort of be able to have to make decisions. And when you are either in therapy or you are working on your well-being, um, that is often a major factor in whether or not you are successful in making the changes that you want to make by being able to think positively about them, even though that may be risky in itself, um, but also allows you to pursue goals. And so it talks about the idea that taking risks is sort of this fundamental part of being human um, that really helps support our personal growth. And so, of course, if we want to think about this in a therapeutic way, which is why the article is entitled Therapeutic Risk-Taking, which is a specific type of risk-taking, this enables um, ourselves to be able to make these decisions about your level of safety and your ability to pursue those goals, like I mentioned. And so um, it really is about being able to feel empowered and to make decisions that kind of enable your personal development. And so for me as a clinician, um, it's really important that I am empowering my clients um, to achieve their goals, to make changes, to walk away from things. Um, but ultimately, their personal growth is is the goal, no matter what they come in with, maybe as a specific need. So it could be their marriage, it could be... Um, a job they want to take. It could be friendships that need to end. The ultimate goal is that they emerge from the experience based on whatever decisions they have to make in the midst of that process um, as a better person, a more more whole person. And so um, I think being able to highlight some of the things from this article, one of the sort of standout points for me that I really liked was the concept of therapeutic risk-taking as being underpinned by recognizing that risk is not solely defined in terms of harm and hazards and danger. Um, it can also create a lot of opportunity. Um, there's a sense of achievement that happens when you take the risk and it turns out the way that you want it, um, but also just possibilities. So even when if it doesn't turn out the way you want to know maybe how to do something a little different, make a different choice, um, and ultimately still reach that end goal. And so when you kind of view it through that lens, risk-taking is sort of this like fundamental part of um, growing psychologically and being able to um, evoke changes in your life. And so not only in terms of the gains that might happen from taking the risk itself, but also sort of the reflective piece that happens um, if you don't make those gains and if you maybe miss the mark um, after making a decision or taking a risk, um, you learn from it still. And so ultimately, there's not really a bad choice um, when it's a therapeutic risk that you're taking. And so as we think about this, of course, from a mental health perspective, like being able to engage in practices that promote that therapeutic risk taking and really supports people in um, taking risks kind of creates a shift in thinking about the nature of mental illness itself, um, as well as the roles that a clinician might have or that the person in therapy might have um, and even thinking about what this looks like in their day to day. And so within that context, people who maybe have um, a mental health concern or are worried um, can't really be seen as sort of um, these folks that kind of like experience sort of this docile, laid back, um, I'm going to go to therapy and not really do any work. I'm going to let my therapist try to work this out for me. Um, that won't really work for these folks. Um, you have to be sort of in a place where you are seen as an expert in your own life. And so there are actions and steps and changes that can only be completed by you. 
Um, if any of my clients are listening, I think they know that I am the type of clinician that is always going to push them into their autonomy because one day um, it is my job to put myself out of their life in that way, um, particularly if they are somebody who utilizes services, you know, on a regular basis, like weekly or biweekly. And so at a certain point, it, it needs to be that that person feels like so much of an expert in themselves um, that they're able to come up with their own answers and process it in the same maybe way that they might with me in therapy, um, but do that on their own and, and really live a fuller life that doesn't sort of create that dependency between themselves and their choices um, and having this go-to person um, that they think is is fixing them. Um, and I promise you, we're just not that powerful. We're not wizards. We're not magicians. Um, the work that ends up happening is only a result of clients um, doing what they have to do. So what I really, really like about this concept, again, is that it really promotes um, sort of the recovery experience. So if you're coming in for therapy while, um, I know using the word recovery sounds like it's related maybe more to like substance abuse or some other addiction. But in most cases, when we are working on ourselves, we are recovering from something. Um, and so therapeutic risk-taking kind of promotes that by encouraging people to pursue um, their ambitions and their goals. Um, it really helps sort of this like concept of a shared decision-making. So they feel more confident because they've maybe like processed it with someone else, but it's ultimately still their choice. Um, supporting autonomy, like I mentioned, recognizing individuals' agency, allowing people to take control of their own lives, recognizing people's rights to take risks and to make mistakes, which is a big one, um, encouraging self-management and self-determination. I think this is also a big goal um, for any clinician for their clients is to be able to make sure that that person feels like once they get through maybe one of the toughest things they've ever done, that they feel competent and capable of doing it again and again and again. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much therapy you go to, how many self-help books you read, um, there's always going to be some level of uh, craziness of life <laughs> that will be thrown your way and you'll need to know what to do. And that doesn't mean you won't take a pause to try to figure that out, um, but you will hopefully feel much more equipped to do so. Um, so that's why for that reason, therapeutic risk-taking in itself facilitates sort of this empowerment in clients because um, it really enables them to make decisions about how do they keep themselves safe um, how to take risk and sort of promote that personal development to uh, lead to a better life. And so it really is about exercising choice and exercising one's rights to be able to be the person they want, be surrounded by the people they want, live the life that they want, um, so that you can kind of evolve through the process of making mistakes and learning and um, setting up boundaries, all the things that we've talked about probably in the past um, on the show in different ways, but just being able to sort of experience that. So um, I think some of the ways to really think maybe more intently about this in, in a more practical sense is being able to think about positive risk-taking as some of the everyday things that we end up doing um, that might be difficult, but that we actually put ourselves out on the limb um, and ultimately we benefit from usually the decision. So some of these things might be, you know, repairing a broken or a strained relationship um, or maybe the opposite of that, right? A toxic relationship, um, you know, moving that out of our lives, setting up some clear boundaries, eliminating um, that person or that source of toxicity from our life. Uh, maybe going after a dream job. I know this happens pretty often. People will look up um, 
job sources and see the description and find the one thing or the one skill, the one qualification that they feel like they don't have and they just decide not to apply. Instead, putting yourself out there. While for some people, they're like, oh, that's not a risk. For many people, that really is. Um, that's them putting themselves out there, putting their credentials out there, their qualifications out there for judgment and for somebody to say whether or not they feel you are deserving um, of a role. Now, that doesn't make their feelings about you true, but um, it definitely is risky and can you know be an emotional vulnerability to put yourself out there in that way. So for sure, um, it can also be therapeutic to put yourself out there, particularly if you end up um, conquering a fear, but also if you end up getting this like fabulous job that you know you can learn and grow into because that one skill or quality is not going to make or break um, the other ways in which you're able to contribute to the part of a team or whatever the the job is. Um, another therapeutic risk-taking experience could be starting a business. Um, I think we're seeing this now in this era more and more, which is pretty awesome that so many people feel empowered um, and that they have something to share with the world. That's what really being in business is about. Um, and I think it can be risky for a lot of reasons, financial reasons, of course, if you are somebody starting a business and you don't have you know, funding or a donor or some sort of um, backing. It can be really scary. Um, but at the same time, like I mentioned, you believe maybe so much in what it is that your business is centered around um, that you want to you want to dive in and do it. You want people to have in their hands or to experience the thing that you offer. And so I, I think that that's pretty awesome as well and, and totally worth the risk of doing. I was somebody who did that myself four years ago. Um, and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, dating. So going on a blind date, maybe starting out dating after a bad relationship, um, being able to just kind of put yourself out there. Um, likewise, if you're maybe already in a relationship, having maybe a tough conversation about where you stand in that relationship. Um, you know, where do you feel like things are going? Uh, while most people sort of, again, will be like, well, that's not really risky. Um, for some people, it really is like being that vulnerable enough to know that, um, you trying to be risky enough to say what it is that you need and what you want. Um, and the other person has the right to also respond in the way that, uh, feels most authentic to them. Um, you're taking a chance. And so just being able to really think about that in a true way, I think is important. Um, but also again, worth the risk. And then lastly, you guys know that I have the travel bug. So I love, um, taking trips and traveling is exhausting, but it's really fun when you have wonderful experiences. Um, but one of the things I think to really consider is taking a solo trip. So while a lot of people, uh, find that to be very scary, I think some of my, uh, most amazing experiences have been the times where either for work or for personal things, um, I've traveled solo for a little bit. Um, you obviously have to be safe because the world is crazy, but being able to know that it's pretty risky to put yourself out there, make plans for yourself, um, travel and do things that people typically would do in groups, um, risk being sort of like kind of laughed at for kind of doing that on your own. People assume uh, because you're by yourself that you have to be. And so um, just putting yourself out there, though, to really expand 
um, your world and your sense of self by being able to experience other people's worlds um, is really amazing and definitely a therapeutic or a positive risk that's worth taking. So those are some practical tips and tools. You obviously do not have to uh, follow any of those. You may have your own examples, but I thought it was really, really important for us to think about this topic as I recognize we have hit the midpoint of the year and most people are thinking about their goals from the start of the year, whether they're business goals, personal goals, relationship goals, um, not the hashtag, but real relationship goals and being able to kind of like figure out how to create a sense of self that is authentic, um, but that also doesn't involve you having to feel like you're holding back from things that you love and that you want to do. And so um, I do hope that you will get into the habit of risky business. But when I say risky business, I obviously mean therapeutic risk-taking and being able to see how it can impact your world um, and leave you in a much better headspace with much richer experiences, uh, closer friendships, and being able to experience life in the way that you want. So that is our topic for this week. Make sure that if you are interested um, in more details to check out that article I mentioned, um, and we will take a break right here and we'll be back with our signature segments. everybody. We are back with the second half of the Emerald Couch podcast Um, here, ready to kick off our signature segments. First up is our pop psych moment of the week. So this weekend, The Lion King, the 2019 version, um, premiered and has broken all the records, all the things, all the feels. Um, and was pretty good. I, I I know people have sort of mixed feelings about it. And I think it's really difficult. So if you were um, alive and into Disney uh, in 1994 when the original one came out, so this year was the 25th anniversary of it, um, I think it is difficult to not compare, but they're not the same. Um, one was animated, one is not. Um, and so being able to kind of make sure that, you know, you're giving it a fair shake for the 2019 version of it. It's not going to be the same as 1994, um, where we all knew all the lines and enjoyed Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa, um, and Nala in the way that maybe we might have. Um, so just for record's sake, um, definitely one of Disney's biggest, uh, especially, uh, sort of a, a reboot. Um, of a movie. So as of this recording, um, from opening weekend, uh, The Lion King grossed 1.191.77 million here in the U.S. Um, and globally about 531 million. So that's like insanity. Um, but definitely a great movie. Obviously some of my favorite actors and actresses. Um, I think everyone, you know, did a great job. There were definitely a few little twists that weren't in the original, um, 1994 version that I found to be at least humorous. Um, if nothing else, I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Um, but there were definitely some moments where 
I was like, that didn't happen in the first one, um, which is nice to just know that they, you know, added a little bit of extra to it, added some layers, some depths, um, and kind of just re-examined each of the characters to make sure that maybe they fit authentically into this era versus 1994 when it first came out. So definitely a good way to celebrate the 25th anniversary of such a great film. Um, definitely was a, a shift, a cultural shifting film back then. And I think it will be now, especially looking at these box numbers. Um, what I think I loved most about just getting to view the movie itself was just being in theaters, um, with children, which is like not typical for me to want to do. Um, but like getting to see some of them experience it in the way that I remember experience, experiencing it when I was a kid. And so, um, I just really enjoy like just hearing some of them sing the songs and, um, kind of knowing some of the lines and punchlines and things that, um, you know, was probably all of us 25 years ago as well. And so I think just getting to see that a new generation will get to experience this movie in a different way. Um, there were definitely some other messages that apply more to this day and age. And I thought that that was pretty cool as well. So um, just being able to see it was very nostalgic for me. It's definitely an experience I won't forget, probably like how I felt 25 years ago also. Um, so if you haven't seen it, even if you're not a super fan of the original, or maybe you never saw the original, I think it's still worth seeing. Um, the music in it is great. They've updated a lot of the songs, which I thought was really cool. Um, and it definitely had an authentic feel um, if you're interested in African culture and just kind of knowing more about it musically. So if you haven't checked it out, obviously you're missing out because the rest of the world clearly went to see it this weekend. Um, so make sure you check it out. And, you know, look at some of those messages. And that's the reason I chose it as our pop psych moment of the week. Um, because I do think that there were a lot of lessons to be learned. You learn about grief and loss. You learn about leadership. You learn about friendship. You learn about love, um, jealousy. There's a lot of messages to be, uh, discovered. And so I definitely recommend it. Um, and for that reason, the Lion King, uh, has been made our pop psych moment of the week. So last up is our small talk bookshelf. Um, so this is where I share with you guys what I am reading. Um, and actually, I'm not done reading this yet, but I'm almost done. I hope this week will be when I get to knock it out. Um, but I'm currently reading a book called Off Air, which is authored by Sheba Turk, who is a WWL TV anchor. So WWL is a local uh, New Orleans news station. Um, it was my family's favorite station growing up. I know there are others. And I know that if people are listening who are fans of some of the other stations, please don't hate me, but that is what we watched in our home. Um, and who I grew up knowing like those anchors and weathermen and women. Um, so it's exciting to see this young woman, particularly, um, what she is doing, I think, for the culture of broadcast journalism. And so she is known uh, for her authenticity. She is known for her sense of style um, and the embracing of her culture um, and just sort of being fun. She has now even her own show. So she's a news anchor, morning news anchor, uh, but also is the host um, of the 504, which is a show um, that 
kind of focuses on New Orleans artistry or business owners or um, just a lot of different ways to highlight people of the city, which I think is amazing as well. Um, her book in itself centers around her journey to the anchor desk. And she talks about some of her personal struggles, professional struggles, even issues that came up with her with finishing school. Um, and so I think it just offers really great insight for people who are interested in broadcast journalism. Um, I think it's really good for young professionals. Like if you're just starting out or maybe you're trying to get through school and you're trying to figure it out and you're feeling discouraged, just kind of um, reading through some of the things that Sheba went through in her experiences and still was able to come out on the other side in a super successful way, um, I think is, is really cool. And so, um, I think it's awesome. Like if you're somebody who's just kind of preparing to launch your career or maybe restart a career, um, I think it's, it's a little bit of something for everybody. So for all my dreamers, all my folks who are, um, interested in leaving their mark and really finding your purpose, it is a great book. Um, and it's my pleasure to share it with everyone. Um, especially for her, she is a former schoolmate of mine. Um, and just a wonderful New Orleans girl really doing her thing. And I think, um, it's an amazing book. And so I do hope that if you are interested in any form that you would pick it up, um, because that is what we are reading right now on our Small Talk Bookshelf. So no Ask Dr. LP questions this week. If you have any, please make sure you send them to us through Instagram, Facebook, um, or on the Ask Dr. LP tab on the website. You can also email them to us directly if you'd like, um, but make sure that if you have more questions about our topic from today, which was around risk-taking um, or anything else, past topics, past episodes, please make sure you send it your way and we will share your question um, on the show and answer it on the show. So that brings us to the end of another episode. As always, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, super, super excited that the next time I talk to you, we will be in the month of August. I feel like this year is flying by, but that is very exciting that more things are ahead, um, not only for the podcast, but for our practice as well. Um, as always, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe to all of our social media platforms um, and podcast platforms. And if you have questions, send them our way. Thank you as always. And we will see you next time right here on the Emerald Couch.